Hey, listener, Underdog Fantasy is the easiest place to play fantasy sports. Also, the fastest growing fantasy app in the industry. You can play Pick'em. Pick whether your favorite players will have a higher or lower total in each stat for this week's games for a chance to win big. You can actually win up to 100 times your money in a single night. That's right. I didn't say 10. I didn't say 20. Up to 100 times your money. Pick between two and five players. Build a pick them entry. My favorite feature, you can make rivals picks. Hit two players against each other. Wembenyama versus Nikola Jokic. Tim Hardaway Jr. versus Norm Powell. Kawhi Leonard. Versus Steph Curry. Who knows? Maybe Grayson Allen versus Pat Connaughton. You get where I'm going with that. You can do it all with Underdog Fantasy. Make sure you sign up today with the promo code DING. That's D-I-N-G. And get your first deposit doubled up to $100 as well as an instant Pick'em special. Visit underdogfantasy.com or find them in the app store. And don't forget to register with our promo code DING, D-I-N-G, to get your first deposit doubled up to $100 as well as an instant Pick'em special. Must be 18 or older and present in a state where Underdog Fantasy operates. Terms apply. Concerned with your play? Call 1-800-522-4700 or visit www.ncpgambling.org. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the latest edition of the Woke Bros. Of course, I'm your co-host, Big Waz, a.k.a. Wazzy Lambray. And Nando Vila is out on assignment today. He's in the country of Spain, his, his native homeland. So we got the next best thing, man. My brother, you know him from ESPN, The Athletic, and now of the House of Strauss Substack. The most popping sports media substack on the planet. Ethan Strauss, welcome back to the show, bro. Thanks for having me. Well, I should say thanks, except when you invited me, um, I thought it was going to be Warriors. And I thought, oh, man, Jordan Poole, Jonathan Kaminga, they're just saying crazy things. I got to start reading their quotes. And then you told me that, they're, that we're going to talk about a racial killing. And I was like, oh, this is a far different far different show than I was yeah yeah I wanted, to, I wanted to have you up here for the volleyball light stuff man just easy stuff oh, easy peasy oh oh yeah easy you know, as peasy. I'm out here as I'm out here in carefree Miami um interviewing scam artists and uh soon to interview the Cavender twins I thought it was just gonna all be carefree but no it was we got some serious stuff apparently so talk to me quickly about um, your trip to Miami. Um, what brought you over there? Um, like your interest in going over there and talking to who you're talking to and just, you know, what, what you've received, what has been waiting for you as you get to Miami? <laughs> um, I'm out here to interview the Cavender twins. For people who do not know, these twins, Haley and Hannah, have made more money as women's basketball players than anybody in the history of the world. They've made millions of dollars because of NIL, name, image, likeness was okay by the NCAA. And they sold themselves. They came from Fresno to University of Miami. Um, yes, through sex appeal, that's part of it. And be frank about it. Um, and then they quit. 
they just retired. They could have played another year at U of Miami and instead they're joining the WWE. So I don't know. That's interesting to me when people are selling their own brand. Nobody totally knows what the product is, but millions of people are watching all these brands like Champ Sports <laughs> are affiliating with them and then they retire as the thing they are. And this is just the scene that they're in right now. They are joined up with um, Better, a micro sports betting company run by oh, Jake Paul. Wow. <laughs> but what was that? Yeah, I said, oh, Jake another Paul. one? Yeah. Uh, yeah, Jake Paul, who's living in Puerto Rico to evade the tax man, who comes <laughs> into the offices every now and again. Everybody out here talks the same way is what i'm learning they all talk about 10xing things they all talk about passive income you got to get your passive income up was and i would give a recommendation to anybody <laughs> listening to right now to understand miami to understand this scene you have to go to youtube and you have to see clips of a guy named grant cardone grant cardone he is a real estate mogul slash motivational tony robbins figure out here He's the guy who talks about passive income. He's the guy, he calls himself Mr. 10X. And if you start watching a clip with this guy, and yes, it's very scammy. Incidentally, he's a Scientologist. I'm not judging. I'm just, <laughs> yeah, painting the just painting the picture. I want those people coming after me. But you will be hypnotized by the charisma of this guy as he's telling you how you need to be able to do, in his words, some smart shit with your money. Then you can do some dumb shit, like buy planes and rolls royces and everything else so that's miami i mean there was a for a minute was people were talking about how it was gonna be the new tech scene and i don't i i, I don't see it I <laughs> why don't you why don't you see it ethan you living in the sort of zeitgeist of tech culture up there in northern california we don't get any of that stuff down here in la why, why don't you see it happening for the bros I mean, in miami i mean look Yes, it's all one big scam. Everything's kind of a scam, but there are smarter levels of scam. I've been in – I, look, I, it's tough because I'm talking with these people. I'm talking to people are better. I don't want to seem judgmental. They've been very nice to me. But I'll put it this way. If I go into startups in the Bay Area, the people are socially awkward. They're sleeping there. They're bleary-eyed. Mm -hmm. They can barely – they barely know how to interact with a human being because they're right. oriented towards being engineers, towards building things, and that's all they're focused on. You go into a startup out here, and it's like going to a college party, which is really fun. I mean, the people I'm meeting who are working are just, boom, right out of college, kind of Wolf of Wall Street boiler room vibe, and they're having the time of their lives. But is, is that something you want to bet on? Do you want to bet on? Cool. Look, this sounds judgmental and elitist, but – People were saying in the Bay Area, oh, my God, Miami's going to be the new tech scene, Miami, Miami, Miami. The engine of the tech scene in the Bay Area is Stanford University and Cal. Yeah. No offense to the University of Miami, but to quote Stephen A. Smith, there are levels, you know? There are levels. And that's what people are recruiting out of. U of Miami, I think, is a perfectly nice university yeah. to get – Reasonably smart people who are yeah. really, really cool. But cool doesn't make money. Cool can scam money. Cool can scam money great. Cool yeah. will scam the shirt off your back. 
but does it build I, I a don't viable business build. long term? Like you don't th- yeah. you don't think better is going to be around in thirty years? <laughs> I don't know enough about the better business model. <laughs> I don't want to ever want to bet against Jake Paul. He seems yeah, like he, he seems he's to be tapped into something. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I was talking to a woman who runs a lot of their stuff last night, and I was asking, "Is they're going after Barstool?" I say. Well, how are you going to beat Barstool? She goes, we're better. And I thought she meant the, the company better. I was like, well, yeah. It was like, who's on first? I was like, no, 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 we're better. It's like the way it's spelled, B-E-T-R, like without the E. But though she meant the one with the E, with the vowel in there. And I go, why? And she said, we're younger, we're cooler, we got Jake Paul, and we're addicted to gambling. Wow. <laughs> She's 23, incidentally. Just you know, for studying the scene. Uh, wow i cannot wait to read what comes out of this Uh, it's obviously going to be fire but really what i wanted to talk to you today about um and it's all over the news new york times is covering this thing obviously all of the local papers in new york the post daily news um local media but um a man was 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 killed um he died Some people are calling it a murder. Some people are using more incendiary language. We'll get into that later. But a man named Eric Neely, a 30-year-old man, um, homeless man, uh, he has a history of mental illness. Um, He was choked out on a a train um, on the subway uh, by a a passenger. Um, And this stuff has sort of... It's almost like it's the 1980s again in New York, Ethan. It's kind of crazy. Some people call it Bernie Goats. Was it Bernie? Yes. Yeah, yeah, the the vigilante writer. Yeah. Um, And some people are calling this a murder. Some people are going as far as to say a state senator, by the way. This is some random person on Twitter, uh, a New York state senator who represents um, a district in Brooklyn and Queens. Uh, she said this is a lynching. Um, and yeah, people are protesting, saying that the the murder was racialized, et cetera, et cetera. And it's gotten pretty out of hand. And look, I, I can give my own anecdotal sort of pieces here, right? Just And people could do whatever the fuck they want with it. I'm just going to give you my anecdotal pieces and my own perspective on this. Um, one, obviously, you guys know I'm a New York City native, spent a lot of time riding the subway in my life, like a lot of time. Um, so that's one. I haven't lived in New York since 2017. Back then, riding the subway was a breeze, okay? Um, I want to say starting around 2020, to be honest, 2020, um, pandemic, all of that kind of stuff, the racial reckoning, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I'm talking to my friends and family who still live in New York, and a lot of them are really scared to ride the train, like scared. I'm talking about men and women. Like, I'm, and I'm talking about dudes who I look at, I'm like, yo, people who can handle themselves. Black people who are afraid to ride the subway. Women forget about it. 
They just don't want to deal with it. And me being me, Ethan, honestly, I'm just like, man, y'all being some bitches. Like, get out of here. It's the subway. We born and raised in this thing. We've been do. We would take the subway at three thirty, four in the morning. You know, being bridging tunnel scum, trying to get back to Queens from partying in Manhattan. Right? Like, I'm like, yeah. this is crazy. This is unnecessary. And somebody who's very close to me in my life, um. She went like I want to say like four or five times in a row where she was accosted by somebody on the train, um, made threats, blah, 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 like just unpleasant to where it's sort of like a traumatized experience of riding the subway. All right. I say all that to say around. This would have been, I guess, March. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This would have been March because it was right after All-Star break. I went to New York and I spent about three weeks in New York and I did a decent amount of riding the subway. And I can say there's just more homeless people, people that are dealing with mental problems, riding the subway. A lot of them are menacing. Some of them are just minding their business. And most of them are minding their business and talking to themselves. But a decent amount of these cats are screaming, yelling. It feels threatening. And I'm going to finish up by this, and I want to get your take. So I'm riding the train. It's it's like, I want to say it's it's midday, because I was just going to see my brothers Eric and Jeff of It's The Real um, on the Upper West Side. And so I'm coming from Brooklyn, taking the two train or whatever. It's me and about four or five other people on a train. They all happen to be women of varying age. One woman is sitting directly across from me. She's about, I want to say like 25, 26 years old. There's an older woman, Asian woman to my right. There's a, there's a two other women to my left um, on the car. And then a dude, a guy that I would say, you know, not that it matters. He was black, but he was a, he looked to be in his thirties, um, slim dude. And he just got on train and just started screaming obscenities. And he's sort of screaming obscenities and talking about performing violent acts to enemies or whatever, but not in any body's direction on the car mm. and i'll be honest with you ethan in the past if i see something stupid happening on a train car next stop i'm just getting off and getting on the next car yeah. but i don't know if it's because i'm 36 now and i've never in my life ever felt this way okay i felt like a duty to stay on the train with these women right mm. so i did stay on and i'm just like yo if this guy tries to attack one of these chicks i have to fucking step up Luckily, he gets off on the stop, and before he gets off, he screams a bunch of fucking obscenities at everybody on the car, and he gets off. And I look to make sure that he doesn't hop back on, doors closed or whatever, and I make eye contact with the woman who's sitting directly across from me, and she gives me this look like, whew, one of those New York things that happened. Whew, that was a close mm -hmm. one, wasn't it? Right? Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, yo, this is fucking crazy. Like, I'm not train vigilante guy i'm not i don't <laughs> care i'm like yo matter of fact i'm going the other way but like in that moment i felt like i had to stay there you know and i'm just saying that to say that people do not feel safe on the train i'm not whatever the cops the da decide to do with the dude who choked his brother out I'm fine with it. I'm good with it. Whatever. The, if they follow the laws that's already in our books, if we don't have laws that people find good enough, then we need to put them there collectively, democratically, whatever. I'm fine with whatever the 
cops and DA come up with if there's laws prohibiting what this guy did. I heard he might be ex-military, so this sort of adds a layer of, you know, problematic nature to it where it's like, bro, you learn how to kill people in the Marines and this dude scared the, the hell out of you. You know, I mean, that might add a layer to it. I've heard all kinds of things. That's just my position. I just know for a fact, and I know I've been going on, but I'm going to let you go, that people feel afraid to ride the train. And it's not just white people. It's not just rich people. It's people in New York who are used to riding the train. Yeah, I, I think that's one of the reasons why this is a resonant story. I mean, you've got two sides, two sentiments or feelings. So that makes a lot of sense. It's unfortunate that we'll take a discrete incident in a huge country, or in this case, a huge city, and we bring all of our baggage to it and make it the metaphor for everything when we don't still know all the facts. I mean, as the facts change, you've got the initial reporting of what happens. You've got the initial few seconds. But whatever the relevant information is changes how you feel about it. I saw a longer clip where it wasn't always, it wasn't only the white blonde Marine, but there was another dude helping him restrain the guy. And then there's this new narrative that they were trying to restrain him until the cops came, but there isn't enough police presence. So, so they hold him for too long and that's how he expires. Is that what happened? Well, that's, you know, something for the judicial process uh, to sort out, I suppose. But if that's the case, then I would feel a different way about it than if it's presented another way. Let's say the guy was armed. I, I have no reason to think he was armed. I haven't seen anything like that. But obviously, if the uh, the homeless guy who was yelling and he was saying that, you know, said something about not caring if he goes to jail, if he yeah. had a weapon oh, on him... Let me him, see if I that, can find this. He said... I'm assuming because I haven't seen anything saying that he does. But let's say something like that comes out because in the case of Jacob Blake, if memory serves, it took a few days to come out that that guy had a weapon and then that kind of changes. And then you get to the absurdity of it's weird when we're debating one of these things as though the reality of it is going to change the baseline reality that you're talking about, which is the situation on the subway. You know, whatever the situation is on the subway with how people feel is what it is, regardless of whether the Marine guy is uh, criminally negligent. Yeah, that's murderer, what I'm saying. Like, do what life. you do. Like, I, like the yeah. cops could do what you do. But I think the people that are calling this a lynching, like, I, I, I don't think this brother should have died. I think it sucks. However, mm -hmm. I, I, I think that the people who have um, made it, made the conditions so um that there are all of these people riding the train not getting any help menacing folks who are trying to get to work their regular ass blue collar jobs by the way there used to be this sentiment that quote unquote everybody rides the subway no, i promise no, 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 you none no, of these no, no. wall street bros are riding the subway anymore no. rich people do either. not ride the subway <laughs> No, there are no rich or wealthy people riding the subway. It's all blue-collar, working-class people riding that damn train. I, I've seen the same thing out where I live. It's the same thing as happened with BART and with Muni, where it used to be everybody rides it, and it's a very normal part of life. And you just don't, you don't hear that as much. You don't hear that as much. Um, if my mom mentions riding BART, I go, hey, really? you, know, you know it's not like, you know it's, not, you know it's different. <laughs> than what it was like in the past. And I think there's just a general 
sense that it's lawless. And you could argue that it used to be too much the other way in New York. When I lived in New York in the Bloomberg years, oh my god, I two, bro! I got two subway tickets from the cops, from the subway, from the from the police at the subway station because I would go up to North Pelham, um, up in the Bronx to visit my my best friend who was going to medical school. And then I would come back to uh, Sunset Park. And that's a long trip. It's a very uh, long trip. The Bronx to, to, to Brooklyn on the train, that yeah. is, that's an hour and a half, you yeah, know, two-hour yeah. trip damn near. <laughs> yeah, and I, was waking, <laughs> I, and I was waking up early every day at 4 a.m. to read everything written about the NBA because I was working for the NBA. So I would fall asleep on the train. And I would just kind of pass out sometimes. And I might take up – all it was is my body – was kind of crossing that line yeah. of being on two seats at once in an empty train, empty yep. train. And that was enough. I got, I got dinged for a ticket. I got two tickets. The cops said, you know, we saw you, you're, 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 you know, you're splayed out across two seats. We're not like, like homelessness was illegal post Giuliani and the Bloomberg. You could not, yeah. you could not be splayed out on two seats. And I'm looking around like, what the what the hell i'm not hurting anybody you yeah. know there's nobody else on this train my back is hurting it's been an hour and a half but that was the standard and now i'm looking i'm going okay well i have to choose two realities i will choose the reality where i'll get a ticket versus the reality where hey it's it's the wild west out there whatever happens is whatever happens there's a lot going on i mean a there are people who probably need to be institutionalized um who aren't being institutionalized. B, I think fentanyl and meth uh, has hit America very hard and it changes the behavior of people who are out, down and out. I think that combo, because people start on the fentanyl and then they start using the meth uh, for a variety of reasons. One is that you don't, you don't tend to die uh, as easily as you do if you're just on pure fentanyl and meth keeps you up. But I think that's part of why there's a lot of crazy out there then you combine it with how i think part of the issue in society in the internet with viral contagion is nobody is really in charge of the scale of whatever is going on and so can you explain I, that to people um meaning when you say a viral contagion you're talking about a clip that goes yeah. everywhere yeah and it's nobody's singular choice and so these departments then react to it. I mean, you know, it's interesting. This is going to sound strange, but Giuliani was kind of the first to really brand dropping crime as a mayor. It wasn't wow. assumed the mayor could do anything about crime. That, that wasn't thought to be a mayor's purview. It was, well, these are big socioeconomic factors, and there's nothing the mayor could do. Now, it's a little complicated because every city during Giuliani's reign pretty much dropped crime in crime. Yeah. <laughs> but his had like the biggest drop in the biggest city. So it became a huge deal. And it had all sorts of externalities and effects to it. I mean, one, I think, is that cities were more aggressive about trying to reduce crime. But then the other is they were more into lying about crime. So if you can them, stats. Yeah, yeah. You know, I once <laughs> I once got the this is a whole different story, but I once got the the shit beaten out of me in Irvine when I was nineteen outside of Del Taco. Jesus, uh, by who? 
<laughs> by some dudes with guns. Um, oh my that was a God. Whole different story. That was a whole different story. This you know? is when you were in um, college at Berkeley? I was visiting my friend who was going to Irvine. Oh, where's and, Irvine at? Is that in OC? Or Yeah, yeah. It's Orange County. It's really okay, boring. Okay. And, one, and one of the things Irvine has is it calls itself the safest city in America. Because the way <laughs> it worked, at least back then, is that you're, there's something called Morgan Quitno who puts together a rankings of safest city. Now, do they do any research? Not really. They just have a formula. The formula is based on there are six major categories. I might screw up which ones they are, but there's obviously murder, rape, ag assault, um, and you know forcible robbery. And I can't remember all of them. I mean, you could even look at it, but in New York City, during the time that Morgan Quitno got big, New York City's uh, first degree assaults plummeted as their second degree assaults skyrocketed because the second degree assaults weren't part of the formula. And so you're seeing the effects of these things and how the stats get juiced. So the police like, well, are reporting it as second degree, exactly, whether it's first exactly. degree or not. And I think that was another sneaky problem that I think hurt police community relations because somebody like me, I'll just tell the story really quick, but my friends and I, visiting a friend in Irvine, we're smoking weed and we're hungry. We go to the Del Taco and you know, the Del Taco is kind of closed and this car pulls up to the driveway and it goes really fast, kind of like skirt. And then it rolls back and looks at us. And I just don't even know who the dudes are. So like, Oh, Hey, how you doing? Like whatever. And this guy, this is the crazy, this has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but it's a story. This guy jumps out of the car and he looks at me and he goes, you look at my car, man. And I think he's like, you know, just being frank about it, I think like Hispanic dude, you know, mm -hmm. could be Armenian, LA, Southern California. You don't know. You never know. I'll never know. But could have been Filipino. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I, you know, I'm just assuming, um, but he seemed tweaky. That was my thing. It's like, it looked like this is methy. He's, he's like, he's fired up a little bit. He's like, you looking at my car, man, you looking at my car. But part of me thought that maybe he was putting on, like part of me wondered if he knew my friends and this was like a joke because it didn't even make sense what was happening. Right. Hello, listener. Guess who's back? It's me, Anthony Mays, your favorite butcher turned podcast producer. And I'm here to talk to you about ButcherBox. ButcherBox is the most convenient way to get high quality meat and seafood that you can trust delivered straight to your doorstep, free shipping, vacuum sealed packaging, it's ready to go right then. It's ready to pop in the freezer. You get exclusive member deals and a variety of high quality cuts at an amazing value. Going to the grocery store can be a huge pain. You're usually in a rush at an inconvenient time. You're waiting in line at the meat counter. You're taking a number. Maybe this place doesn't have a number. You're jostling with fellow customers. You're trying to get that ribeye that you want or that nice piece of salmon. Maybe the butcher that you're dealing with has a bad attitude or something. I don't know. That was never me. I promise. But maybe it happens. Butcher Box takes all of that out of the picture. You are always prepared with meat and seafood in the freezer, and you're not going to find quality for this price anywhere else other than ButcherBox. So sign up at butcherbox.com slash dings, D-I-N-G-S, and get our special deal, 
ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com dings and use code dings, D-I-N-G-S, to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. Dude gets out of the passenger seat and just <coughs> cough real quick. And he comes up to me and he's like, you're looking at my car? And it's like, this is very confusing to me because I don't like what, I, like I, where else would I be looking? I don't understand this. And then he gives me a little shove. And at that point it's, oh, this is real. This is like, I might have to actually defend myself. And then he takes a swing at me and he clearly, I think, understood fighting from the movies because it's a big roundhouse swing. I just kind of, it's kind of tough. And I go like, oh man, I gotta like, I gotta do something about this. And then he pulls up his shirt and he shows that he's got the heater. And it's like, oh, I'm not doing anything about this. (laughs) I'm just about to get my ass kicked. There's nothing, there's nothing I can do. My my friend Matt Kleiman, guest on the podcast, uh, House of Strauss, um, tried to kind of intervene. They kicked him in the nuts and pushed him away. And, you know, it's like kind of comical looking back because the guy then takes another swing at me, but he's not very good at punching. And so I just kind of duck. And then he takes another swing at me and I just kind of duck. And then he gets frustrated. He looks towards the passenger seat, dude. And he goes, hit him, man. And I swear to God, before this dude punches me, I literally see him shrug. I literally see him shrug. You can tell the guy in the passenger seat thinks this is stupid, is annoyed that he's he has to be part of this. But look, man, the gang leader said he's got to punch me. This dude literally shrugs and then punches me, and then I feel some contact on top of my head because you can kind of time it up, but when oh two guys Lord. are punching at you, when two guys are punching at you, you can't really do much about it. So I'm getting knotted up a little bit. And then Matt Kleiman uses all of his improv skill because he's recovered from the nut shot and he interve- He just sort of steps in and he just very declaratively, like he's on stage because he's a great performer. My friend's a comedian and, you know, an actor and he's in high science on HBO Max right now. And he just puts two hands up and he goes, we're walking away. We're walking away. <laughs> and the dudes just kind of accept that. And we're going and they're just, they're saying to us like, we're not from around here, man. We're not from around here. And we're not either. <laughs> They think that we are. They they might have wanted to take their 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 anger out on some Orange County residents, which is just strange. Which is not the case in, in this. And instance, you reported this to the cops. I the next day, because I'm going. You know, maybe you got some sort of footage. I'm right outside the Del Taco. Yeah, that's easy. Yeah, you you they think it's CSI. Here. Yeah, yeah, you watch TV growing up, you don't know. And they start interrogating me about it. They start going, you're telling me that you, like, 19-year-old young gentleman just got beat up for no reason? I'm like, yeah, it was kind of weird. Like, I called you, you know? Like, I didn't... You didn't come to me. They, they don't want to have to. They don't want to have to report an assault happening. You're no, dumping. No. You're dumping work on their desk. Yeah, yeah. And the guy. I remember the guy said. He said, "You know, there's always two sides to a story." I'm like, 
I don't think they're going to tell you their side uh, because they're criminals. I, 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 you know, I'm telling my side of what happened. I'm asking if you can help me find maybe some footage because these dudes seem like some bad guys going around right. with guns, beating people up. But they basically made it impossible for me to report it. They said, look, you're going to have to be here the whole weekend to do this. I said, well, I, I'm working this summer in San Diego. That doesn't really work and just move on with your life. And then, you know, as you're driving out of Irvine back then, you see Irvine, California, safest city in America. That's well, incredible. how do you get safest? How do you get safest city in America? Well, you don't report crime. Um, you can't hide murders. All the other stuff you can. Um, all the you other can stuff fudge you can fudge the stats. And I guess I tell that story just in that we like to try to find villains and in and, and blame institutions, but incentives incentives are key you know if the irvine police department had better incentives i think that they would have actually tried to handle that in a better way but their incentive through no fault of anybody really just this weird thing of giuliani had been successful and he had branded crime dropping crime really did drop it it was branded and so if a measure becomes a target it ceases to be a useful measure um as the phrase goes Right. And so that's that externality. So, yeah, I mean, these situations, they, are, they stoke a lot of passion, a lot of anger, a lot of baggage people have and racial division. But they're often situations where if you just had a better incentive structure, maybe you get a better result. You know, if you just have a situation where maybe the police response time is better in that in that scenario, um, the guy doesn't get choked out. I don't know that to be the case. Again, this is one argument I'm seeing, but we're just talking hypothetically. And people got to understand too, is that there was always homeless people on the subway. That was like, that was a part of life riding the subway. You might see somebody get on with a garbage cart, not a garbage cart, uh, a shopping cart full of like cans and shit and their belongings or whatever. Everybody's had the experience of, you know, waiting for a subway. You see like 20 that like you see like 20 straight cars or 10 straight cars packed, one empty one in the middle and then packed. And it's like, oh, I wonder why that's empty. And there's a guy in there um, sleeping, but he smells really bad. And so therefore the whole car smells bad and he's cleared it out or whatever. Like these are things that happened on the subway all the time. This stuff about people getting attacked again, I didn't even mention this. Um, my cousin, this wasn't on the subway. This was just randomly on her street in Brooklyn. Some woman attacked her, just straight up assaulted her. Doesn't know this person. There's, there's no prior. They didn't get into an altercation. Just attacked her. She got stitches, scarring on her face, all kinds of crazy shit. And, you know, and to be sure, to, to so that people understand, like, crime is not up in the West Village, right? Crime is not up in Forest Hills, Queens, um, a neighborhood not far from where I grew up. Like, the, the crime is happening in very, the major stuff anyway, is it's happening in very concentrated areas. And then there's all the crazy shit that's happening on the subway, which affects people. And, and again, the reason this shit hits home is because the F train is my train. That's the train that was closest to my my house growing up. Like that's the train that I've ridden the most. You know, I rode that train the most um, 
of all of the trains out there. And like, you know, part of me is I, just I took, like- I always took you for more of a John Rocker seven train kind of guy. Nah, like, like that's, yeah, that's flushing and, and all of that. But you know, the seven train does go to Shea Stadium or City Field or whatever. Like he had it right. <laughs> that is the train to take to, to net games. <laughs> but the seven train is a good train. But no, but what I'm saying about this is like, to make this some highly racialized thing, um, I think kind of misses the point um, of these being the most vulnerable citizens. I feel like in L.A., the homelessness is a bit more diverse than it is in New York. It feels like most mm. of the homeless people in New York are of, you know, they're black or Latin. Um, yeah, L.A., like, they're all over the place. That's what it says on the sign for L.A. Irvine, safest city in America. L.A., most diverse homeless population. Population in the world. Um, But, yeah, I I just think it's counterproductive to um, be like, oh, this black man got killed on the train by a white guy. I mean, yes, factually speaking, that's true. But I think there's a lot more going on there. And, again, the people who need the subway – the people who don't feel safe while riding the subway are not these rich hoity-toity white people. And that's why I feel more invested in the idea that like people need to feel safer riding it than I ordinarily would. This doesn't feel like some shit that white people are just bitching about rich, um, you know, privileged people are just bitching about. These are people that have real jobs and this is their only way to get there. And and they deserve to have a safe subway ride and not be menaced. And this is all very uncontroversial among normal people. Yes. And it's difficult to sometimes apply standards and know where those standards should be. And sometimes when you allow a little bit of vice, it can really spiral. And I've certainly tried to adjust some of my preconceptions on this. You know, I was for drug legalization, but after seeing the effects of meth and fentanyl, you'd have a conversation with me. I don't want to lock anybody up for a draconian sentence, but like a level of criminalization is certainly something you could talk me into after seeing it ravage neighborhoods and people's lives. You know, there might be something different about those drugs than some other drugs that are a little bit easier to handle. I also just don't think the public really is feeling it as much. Um, the racialization, I don't, I don't see the fervor like there was with George Floyd and no. everybody is in their, like, in their houses. Be- I don't think people, I see a few politicians, I see AOC. I, I don't see, I don't see the public, I think is kind of looking at it and going, well, that's unfortunate, but you know, I don't, bro, I have a hard time believing anybody who rides the train for real, like the percentage of people who ride the train for real and might feel like they couldn't defend themselves against somebody who's going through a mental um, health sort of uh, crisis is like, yo, this is fucking insane. Emmett Till part two, George Floyd part two. You can't think that. If you've actually experienced this shit again, this dude was probably a bit too aggressive. He took it too far. A man's life was lost. We could deal with that. Whatever laws we got on the books, let's deal with it. But like, bruh, lynching. 
Yeah, yeah, it seems like a little like that's thinking that he got on the subway going, I want to kill a Michael Jackson impersonator and I don't care who's going to stop me. I don't think that's the case when you're seeing multiple people, strangers try to restrain, try to restrain the guy who died. But there's this other thing was we talk about people getting their conceptions of law and order from TV shows like law and order. Um, One of my favorite shows of all time, by the way, the original, not done, SVU. Done. Hate SVU. Done, done. Yeah. Um, I don't think people understand how violent violence can be. I hmm. think there's an yeah. unrealistic <laughs> understanding of how easy it is to subdue people and how, look, things can go wrong. I mean, you see this all the time. I knew some guys growing up, uh, like a friend group, and they killed their friend accidentally because they got hmm. in a fight and you know, punch the guy, they beat him up. There's a Coke deal gone bad. It's actually a Dateline thing. You can look Jesus. it up. Um, Wind and Sea Surf Rats, I think, was uh, was the group. But um, they didn't want to kill their friend, but it happened. Um, and it's not like Chuck Norris delivers the perfect blow that renders a guy unconscious. Uh, unconscious. No. It's, not, it's not that manageable. And that's not my judgment on whatever happened in this specific situation, because as we're saying, we don't have all the details. But it is to say that if you have more unmanaged situations, if you have more lawlessness, you will have more stuff like this happen where something spirals out of control. And it's difficult. It's difficult to subdue. And again, people have an unrealistic, an unrealistic sense of things. They think... I mean, I remember I've had conversations with people where they go, well, why couldn't the police just shoot him in the, you know, shoot him in the leg? Shoot him in the leg. Like a, it's like for a variety of reasons. One, you can die that way. That's number yeah. one. It's very easy to die that way when they hit the femoral artery. But number two, they don't want to be shooting at parts of the body that aren't easy to hit and have the bullet hit somebody else. So it's just there's not a good, clean way to do it. And I think a lot of people – one of my bigger theories is that people rely way more on TV for their conception of the world than they would ever admit and ever be aware of. Um, and I think that's that's part of the story with incidents like this, where, again, we don't know all the details here, and I wouldn't presume to, but it is possible to be subduing a guy and accidentally kill him. It's actually way more possible than I think people realize. Nothing like that ever happens in a movie, as far as I know, but stuff like that happens in real life. Uh, real life is messy. It's ugly. Bad things happen. Yeah, and and I would say, you know, just to end this thing, like uh, the, 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 the time that Ethan is talking about post-Giuliani and it's a Bloomberg, it's like, you know, my high school years, right? Uh, I, um, I went to high school in two, the year was 2001, September 11th, um, you know, America's mayor and all that other dumb shit with Giuliani and Bloomberg comes in um, directly afterwards, right? Um, and look, man, I, I'll tell you guys this. When I first moved to LA, the first thing that I noticed about being here was the lack of police. Because yeah. in New York, you are living in a police state. The <laughs> yeah. police presence is everywhere. Everywhere you turn, you will see that blue and white car. 
No matter where you're at, you will get on a subway platform and there'll be uh, some, some offices there. They'll be on the train, right? Like these folks are everywhere, particularly when you, you know, when you're frequenting black neighborhoods, like that's just what it's going to be. Right. Um, and I just remember in LA, I'd be like, where the fuck are the cops? Like we would go to a nightclub in like 2017, get out and people just sort of loitering the e exit, hanging out, talking to girls, doing their thing. No cops around. I'm like, boy, in New York, as soon as the club let out, there's cops on horses waiting. Like, yo, yeah. go find your car. Go get an Uber. Go do this. Like, the police presence is real. Or it was, especially growing up in New York, especially post 9-11, yeah. right? Do you, do you want a stat right here? Because if you think it's sparse, Policing wise in LA, you should really uh, you should really check out Oakland. So obviously, New York City is a much bigger city than Oakland. It yeah. has about eight million. Oakland has about four hundred thousand. But the amount of police officers in New York City, as I look it up, is thirty six thousand police officers in New York City. Was can you guess how many police officers there are in Oakland, a fairly high crime city with four hundred thousand people? Uh, I would say a thousand cops in Oakland. That would still be very few relatively, but it's around 700 is the answer. Jesus. Oakland, That's you're on your own. You're on your own. That's crazy. <laughs> and I'm not saying, like, it's not about, like, I think there's plenty of cops. Um, It's not like all of these cops that existed, they just retired in New York. Like, and what, like, they didn't. They didn't lower the NYPD budget. That's my thing. Like, y'all fools are still getting paid. Y'all still collecting OT. Um, to me, it's just like, yeah, just be there for people. And it's it's one of those crazy things where people are just like, you, you know, you never find a police officer when you needed one. Um, I can say, man, that the motherfuckers were a deterrent. Like, you know, oh, yeah. like you, you're not going to do no damn crimes on no subway car when there's cops there. And, you know, it's a walkie talkie away from 20 more of the motherfuckers coming up on you. Um, and yeah, yeah I just think oh, yeah. in conjunction with civil services, you know, yeah. actually giving these folks some kind of services to to get right. Um, yeah, I think this shit could be fixed, man. I don't think this is some intractable problem. Yeah, I mean, they could approach the fence and the method. Yo, 39,000 cops compared to 700 is insane. <laughs> Oakland, man. But they did put a squad car on my block years ago, and we had some shootings, and it did stop. I think the people who try to argue that police policing and police presence is, uh, presence is no deterrent, I mean, nah, come that on. That shit works. It's like, life, that that's, works. Not, that's, not, that's not real life. Like, real life, there are costs, there are benefits. You know, there's liberty security trade-off you know you don't want a cop maybe on literally every street always hassling you but you don't want none of them and you got to figure out whatever the balance should be but when people are trying to make arguments that oh you know it doesn't matter or it causes more crime i mean it's one of these so stupid only an intellectual could believe it type of arguments um that's not real life the cities that tried doing stuff like that after 2020 immediately changed course oakland Dude. cut its funding 
by 14 million and the blood came out of the elevators of the shining um and they immediately started funding again. i don't so, i don't need yeah. cops to not be cops i just need cops to have a certain level of discernment um yeah. and, and to me that's the that's the sticking point that's the that's the that's the be all and end all of what we're talking about here i don't think anybody especially and this is another thing that people don't ever want to talk about is like the people who are experiencing the most crime are black too right yeah. so like the crimes are being not being committed against rich non-black new york citizens Wait, the crimes it's not are like law and order are you telling me that every criminal <laughs> and victim aren't really attractive white no. No, no, the people who experience crime, the victims of crime happen to mostly be um, working class, poor minorities in New York. So these are the people who is who are actually going through it. Right. Um, And again, what I would just ask is that the cops have a level of discernment. Do you mean I'm being so glib about a serious issue you're talking about? But do you mean to tell me that most dead bodies in New York aren't discovered by two working class guys with a New York accent stumbling upon the body while talking about last night's Knicks game? Is that what you're telling me? No, that's what I'm seeing on Law and Order. Although I do love Law and Order, yeah, and mm-hmm. and so that's all I would say, man. And and I've seen this shit firsthand. Like my buddy, you know, in Bed Stuy, he bought a he bought a condo, like a few buildings down to Section Eight. And the cops would literally just post up over there. <laughs> like, they're just there, you know. And the cops know who are the gentrifiers walking through the block. You know, whether they be black or white, they know They know who's who. They know who the people that are participating. Because, again, the people who actually do the crimes, it's a very tiny, small part of the population who are doing the crimes over and over and over again. They know who the fuck they're dealing with. And that's who you, that's all you ask of the cops. Not that we don't ask the cops to take some blanket approach where they're busting every single person's skull um, who might be on the block. You can't do that. But that takes police work. That takes talking to people. That takes, again, discernment, (laughs) you know, and that's what we want from cops. Do your job. Be good at it. Yeah, that's what we want. There's got to be a way to line up the incentives. I think the wrench in the gears is just viral video now. Yeah, that shit that fucks everybody up. Nobody's in charge of that, and then that creates a whole different incentive structure. I think the incentive structure flips from keep crime down, be aggressive, maybe juke the stats, which is not helpful, to it's not even worth it. Let's collect this taxpayer money and uh, hang out at the donut shop, and that doesn't create good outcomes either. I'm not in charge of it all. I can't really I can't really fix it. I do find it interesting politically that the policing is the issue that completely flips liberal and conservative, where suddenly conservatives like the publicly paid, taxpayer-funded government <laughs> force are supportive of their unions, and then the left goes, this doesn't even work. It's a waste of taxpayer money. They shouldn't yeah, be allowed I, to unionize and have qualified immunity. Look, man, take that away. I, I, I want us thing. I want us to get to a place where police are not needed, right? Um uh however, 
There are <laughs> folks who got left behind by the system, and some of them are going to commit crimes on our citizens. Period. Yeah. There's like there's no way around it, bro. Like it's just reality, and that's all I want people to understand. Like, yes. I want us to one day invent a society where less and less people resort to criminality. However, in the meantime, crimes are happening and they're happening to very vulnerable citizens, period. I'm not talking about property crime where, like, look, that shit where the little black chick got choked out while trying to stream, steal some bags and all of that shit. Like, if look, Unless she on Section Eight, starving somewhere, no sympathy. You you, you stealing yeah, some shit. Stealing, you gotta be prepared for anything. I'm sorry, stealing, I got no sympathy for people yeah. that stealing. I'm sorry, I, thieving and all of that I, shit. I do think that's kind of fair societally that we don't have to lock everybody up who steals for a draconian sentence, but. You kind of threw it all in the variance when you do it. When you do yeah. it, it's like whatever happens. You threw caution to, happens, to the wind. You you did a you bold know. act when you do like that. That's the nature of a bold act. That there might be some adverse consequences behind it. Um, again, yeah. I'm not he's sitting here crying about you know what happens in Marshalls and all of that shit. Like I don't give a fuck. I'm just saying like crimes that happen to people. I eat assaults on the train. We need to figure that out. And and um feel right. sorry for that brother that died. I hope his family's um is doing okay in the in their time of mourning. Like this shit is trash. Um, but man, the, the situation needs to be remedied. Anyway, Ethan, the Substack is House of Strauss. Um mm-hmm. the podcast is House of Strauss. Every now and again, you let the people have some free pod content, but really, you be paywalling your shit. I, I pay, well, I paywall. I paywall you specifically. I'm trying not to get you fired. And there is some That's gold a good... behind that paywall. I didn't paywall. My last two podcasts, I didn't paywall. I think you That's got a good. smooth understanding of it because I paywall I specifically, oh, okay. specifically, you know, but... Don't paywall. worry, it's all wholesome, kids. I, I might have, I might have suggested that we legalize and, um, and regulate the cocaine industry on one of Ethan's podcasts. <laughs> the Sean Watson stuff. Well, anyway, look, we don't, we don't need to get right, we'll, we'll get into that another time. Thanks for coming on, Ethan. Appreciate you, bro. Yeah.